go ahead and you can turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. And we'll, we'll get there just shortly. But how many of you understand, well, how many of you have a brain? How, how, maybe I'll start with that. <laughs> I see a few hands out there. That's good. I'm glad you believe you have a brain. There is so much about the brain that we just do not know, do we? And uh, doctors, they're continually finding new things out about the brain, how it functions, how it keeps us alive, how it, how it changes us, and uh, which parts of the brain control which aspects of who we are as human beings. However, the brain is not a mystery to God. It's a mystery to us. It's a mystery to man. But the brain is not a mystery to God because God created it. How many of you understand that if you create something, it should not be a mystery to you? You should know everything about it. You created it. God created us. He is not confused. It is is not a mystery to him about how our brains work. He's not confused about how different parts of it control different aspects of who we are. God is intimately aware of the greatness of our brains, but he's also intimately aware of the weaknesses that we have. Did you know that when your brain encounters things that are just too graphic, too hard, that you just can't handle them, the brain does something, there's a function in our brain that tells you to either run away or fight. It's called the fight or flight and it'll tell you, to, if, if you can fight, then you need to do something about what you're seeing. But if you can't do anything, they don't tell you to run. It's there for a purpose. And when this part of your brain is activated, your reasoning ability, in other words, our ability to analyze, it stops to function. When we feel like we need to fight or flight, we are literally brain dead in a sense, because we cannot analyze what we really need to do. Also, pretty much from the day you and I are born, our brains start to learn things. They start to process things, and all that we learn stays with us literally throughout our lifetime. That's how important, just from day one, everything that we experience, everything that we learn is so important. For example, parents, and let's just say in particular you mothers, since we're honoring you today on Mother's Day, the way that you hold your children, or maybe if you're a grandparent, the way you hold your grandchild, again, from birth, will help them to learn to accept and love others. It helps them to learn how to securely attach themselves emotionally to another human being just the way you hold them or if you don't hold them when they learn this this allows them to not only receive love from you but it also allows them to give love away this allows them to receive love and give love and to have that personal relationship that intimate relationship with another human being How you care for your children can either help them to learn how to self-soothe themselves or calm themselves 
or to look to other things or other people to do that for them. And I'll talk more about that shortly. When children are loved and held, when they're talked to in loving and caring ways, there are chemicals in the brain that are activated in what doctors call the reward system. When we, again, no matter what age we are, when we experience things like pleasure or safety or calmness, other positive things like that, other positive emotions, there's a release of, the, of hormones in our body that helps us to regulate our internal stress. In other words, it makes us feel good. It is this action that helps us learn how to regulate our emotions. On the flip side, if you and I do not learn these things as infants, if we do not learn them as children, if we do not learn them as adolescents, they will stick with us and they will affect us into adulthood. The sad thing is, when you and I do not learn how to self-soothe, when we do not learn how to calm ourselves, to control our emotions effectively, we will learn negative ways to do that. You see, our body was created to do these things. God created us to do this. Our body was created to experience pleasure, safety, calmness, and other positive things. We were also created to control our emotions, to be able to calm ourselves in healthy and effective ways. And when we don't, when we do what we, when we don't, we do what we can to find them, whatever way we can to calm ourselves. And we can look in wrong places to do this. We can look to drugs. We can look to alcohol. We can look at unhealthy sexual activities, both in and outside of marriage. I could go on and list many different things that we seek or do to try to find that inner peace, that calmness, that pleasure. But I think you get the idea. And this is all because of how God created us. All because of how he created us. One thing that I did not mention is that we can also look for pleasure and safety and calmness and other positive feelings in our other relationships, particularly in our intimate relationships, like in a marriage. Even more, <clears throat> uh, more importantly, it's those very close relationships that are sometimes the hardest, aren't they? This may be one of the most often used ways that we find that we are looking for, that we, that we try to find that relationship that God intended for us to have with Him. He originally created us to find pleasure, to find safety, to find calmness and other things in himself. You should be there at 1 Peter chapter 1. We've been looking at this for a few weeks now. Looking at my living hope, which is Jesus Christ. And we've been reading verse 3, which says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 
On Easter Sunday, we looked at how my living hope, which is Jesus Christ, changes my eternity. When, he, when Jesus was raised from the dead on that third day, no longer am I only focused on my life here and now. I'm, I'm focused on something that is out there that is waiting for me. Something that is eternal, not something that is temporary. Two weeks ago, Pastor Gary talked about how Jesus, my living hope, changes my inheritance. No longer should I be so concerned about what I might receive here on earth as a temporary inheritance, maybe from a family member or a close friend even. Instead, I should be much more concerned that I am ready to receive my heavenly inheritance, something that will last for all eternity. And then last week, Pastor, Pastor Gary talked about how Jesus, my living hope, changes how I view the trials of life, changes how I view things that happen to me or around me. It's not a matter of if, but when I will experience trials or difficult times here in this life on earth. One question we need to ask, however, is what does God want me to learn from my trials? Another question we ask is what does God want to do within me during and then after I experience these trials? And we answered these questions last week. Today I want to look at how Jesus, my living hope, changes my mind. How does Jesus, my living hope, change my mind? Just a little bit down from verse 3, we have verse 13, and it says this, 1 Peter 1, 13, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. The New King James Version puts it just a little bit differently. It says, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. No matter how you read it, it's talking about we need to prepare ourselves. We need to prepare ourselves. Specifically, we need to prepare our minds to live not just for Christ in eternity, but to live for Christ now. It says that we are to set our hope on Jesus Christ. In fact, it says that we need to prepare ourselves to live forever with Christ because one day, Hopefully soon, he's going to come back for us. He's going to come back for his bride, which is us. He's going to come back for his church, which is us. Thankfully, God does not expect us to make ourselves ready on our own. He gives us help. But yes, we have to play a part in this as well. But ultimately, the transformation that takes place is something that only God can do within us. We cannot change it. This is why we can say that Jesus comes to change our minds. Because ultimately, it all starts there, doesn't it? It all starts in our minds, in our brain. Everything we do, everything that we say, begins with a thought in our minds. Which is why they need to be changed. We, have, we need to have minds that are set upon Christ and not upon ourselves. We need to have minds that are set upon Christ and not on us. Human nature, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going to get a little hard on us now for a moment, okay? But our human nature is evil. There's no other way to put it. 
Our human nature is corrupt. Our human nature is sinful. Our human nature seeks to promote us ahead of other people. Our human nature is selfish. Our human nature is undisciplined. Our human nature is unruly. Our human nature wants its own way. Contrary to what the world, the world being those who do not know Christ, contrary to what the world believes, we are not basically good. We are not basically moral. We are not basically honest and trustworthy. One look at the evening news should explain that to us fairly well, shouldn't it? I hate to tell you this, but one look in the mirror should do the same thing. Look at what Jesus said in Mark chapter 10. In verse 17 and eight, verses 17 and 18, Jesus says this, or, or it says this, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except who? God. Now, he is God. He could have said, you're right, I am good. But he points it out for not, his, not for Jesus' sake. Jesus points it out for that man's sake, and he points it out for our sake so that we understand, you know what? We are basically not good. He serves us notice that, you know what? As good as you thought you were is not good enough. It's not good enough. So this is just one place where Jesus has to set us straight, where he helps us understand that we are not good or good enough in and of ourselves, that we are really evil. Well, let's see what, G what God really thinks about humans. In Genesis chapter 6, starting with verse 5, it says this, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created, and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Now, you might be sitting there thinking to yourself, yeah, sure, the people back then, they were pretty bad. They were evil. That's why God, again, had to send that flood and he had to kill them all off, because they were evil. But after the flood, things were different, right? After the flood, people changed. People weren't the same way, right? Well, do you really think that? Let's see what God says just two chapters later in Genesis chapter 8, starting with verse 20. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord. This is after the flood, the, the, the waters have receded. Noah built an altar to the Lord, and taking some of all the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though 
every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. Sorry to burst your bubbles, but we are not that different, are we, from before the flood. According to this passage, God says that our hearts have not changed. We are just as evil as they were. And again, one look at the evening news or even the mirror tells us this. That is why we need our living hope to change our minds. We need a lobotomy, but we don't need the surgery. (laughs) We need a lobotomy. That's the brain surgery. We need that because we need God to come in and to change what is in there that is wrong, that is evil. We need minds that are disciplined by God. We need minds that are able to be self-controlled. You see, even though we may have Christ living within us, and he has great power to give us to change, our tendency is to fall back to what we know. Our tendency is to go back to our human nature, to do the things that we actually know are wrong. It's interesting, I, you know, I've shared before that you know, I go to the Worthmore Clinic here, it's an addictions recovery place, and I talk about forgiveness, and I talk about the fact that we need to be forgiven, and, and that the reason we need to be forgiven is because we, we fail, we sin. And I said, you know, and sometimes we, we, we sin against ourselves, don't we? And I tell you, every hand goes up. Everybody recognizes the fact that they can't even live up to their own standards for themselves, let alone the standards of anybody else. I think if we were all honest today, we would say, you know what? Even as Christians, sometimes we have a difficult time living up to our standards all the time. It's that human nature. Let me ask you a question, a few questions. Do you have to work, and don't answer, please don't answer, okay? Do you have to work hard at living for yourself? Do you have to work hard at being selfish? Do you have to work hard at wanting what you want? Again, if we were all honest with ourselves, I think we would say no. We don't have to work hard at doing any of those things. Those things just come naturally, don't they? It's easy for us to be selfish. It's easy for us to want what we want. That's the easy thing to do. We don't have to work hard at living in ways that are contrary to what God wants for us. It comes all too easy. It's easy to say, I want this, or I want that, or I want to do this, I want to do that. It's easy to fall back into living away from God, away from His presence, away from His convicting power, away from His standards. It's easy, isn't it? It's way too easy. But it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. We don't have to give in to that. It's easy to have a temporary view of life, that all we have is what's going on right here, right now in front of us. But Christ comes to give us an eternal view, doesn't he? 
Christ comes to tell us, you know what? Yes, you have to live here on this earth for a certain amount of time, but eventually that's going to change. Eventually, I'm going to take you home to be with me. We need to have that eternal view of life. But he doesn't come, again, just to give us life in eternity. He comes to give us life here on this earth right now. He comes to give us power to live our lives for him right now. If Jesus lives within us, he desires to change our minds. Let me say it this way. If Jesus lives within you, he desires to change your mind. He does not want to leave us the way that he found us. Isn't that an interesting concept? He does not want to leave us the way he found us. Jesus does not want to leave you the way that he found you. Lost. With no hope. Focused only on what you could see in front of you. How did Jesus find you? What was the condition of your life when he found you? What was the condition of your mind when he found you? Again, eight, uh, Genesis 8.21 says, Never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. Did you ever notice that when God speaks, he doesn't really beat around the bush? He just kind of lays it right out there for you, doesn't he? Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes I think we humans have a hard time just doing that. We have a hard time sharing things that are important. We have a hard time sharing things that could be potentially life-changing for somebody else. Things that might be difficult. We can beat around the bush instead of coming right out and saying, you know what, this needs to change. This needs to be different. I think we tend to do this because we don't want to offend them, right? We don't want to be that way. We don't want to hurt somebody's feelings. But as we've been talking about in my Sunday school class, if we don't do that, if we don't share the truth with people, we're hurting them. When we don't share the truth of God's love for them, God's forgiveness for them, we are actually hurting them. Maybe not in that moment, but we are hurting them for eternity. Because if they don't come to understand that Jesus loves them, that Jesus wants to save them, to forgive them, if they never make that commitment to him, all the niceties in the world are not going to save them, are they? Because they're not going to be with Christ in eternity if we don't tell them. God does not beat around the bush when it comes to our minds, our thoughts, or the subsequent actions that come from them, which is also why in 1 Peter 1, verse 13, we are told to be alert and fully sober in our minds. Alert and fully sober. <clears throat> to be sober can mean many different things. The first meaning that I would imagine most of us think of would be don't be drunk. Don't get high on drugs. Don't abuse those things. 
One would think that this would be self-explanatory, but it isn't. Some read this or they read other passages and they say, oh, I don't really care about that. That doesn't really apply to me. Remember at the beginning of my message when I said that, there are, that, that we are looking for pleasure. We are looking for safety. We are looking for calmness. We are looking for other positive things in our lives. Do you remember how I said we need those things? It's how God created us. How our minds are wired to seek for those things. And how many times human beings can seek for them in alcohol and drugs, unhealthy sexual activities, and other human relationships. But do you remember when I said that these can only ultimately be found in our relationship with Christ? That the pleasure, the safety, the calmness, the other positive things ultimately can really only be found in Christ? Because that's how God wired us. That's how God created us. If that is true, and I believe that it is, then we do not need alcohol, we don't need drugs, we don't need unhealthy sexual activities or other relationships to take the place of Christ in our lives. Because ultimately that is what is happening. When those things become more important to us than our relationship with Christ, they are replacing him in us. All of those things I just mentioned, we can get, I'm sorry, the things that we mentioned can get in our way, can get in the way of us having that relationship that Jesus wants us to have with him. They can take first priority instead of Jesus. But Christ has come to change our minds. He has come to help us understand that it is he alone that we need, not those other things, not those other people, that we are to place our hope in him and nothing else. But please don't don't think that it's only the drugs, the alcohol, the sex, the other relationships. Don't think that it's only those things that can get in the way of our relationship with Christ. Because it isn't. Literally, it can be anything. Anything can come between us and Jesus. Here is what Paul wrote to the church in Rome according, uh, regarding this idea of allowing other things to consume our minds. In Romans chapter 8, <clears throat> starting with verse 5, it says this, Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. Are you starting to get the idea that we need to be changed? I'm not going to try to list 
all the different ways and things that we can try to seek to fill our minds other than Christ. It's endless. I believe the Holy Spirit will speak to you or anybody listening to this message, and He will reveal to you those things that are in your life that need to be dealt with. He will show you what needs to be changed in your mind. Here's the thing. If we don't deal with those things that are higher on our priority list than Christ, those things will hinder our spiritual walk with Him. Our minds can become lazy and filled with other things besides Christ. And when that happens, it becomes easier for us to give in to those temptations that come every day, don't they? And when we give in to those temptations, that is when we sin. And it is sin that will take us away from Christ, our eternal hope, our living hope. And that is the bottom line, isn't it? Our eternal hope, our eternal destination in heaven. If the things and even people of this world are more important to us than Christ, they can prevent us from living with Christ for eternity. Preparing our minds. Preparing our minds is also about being ready to hear from God as well. If we are prepared to hear from God, then we might also be prepared to respond to Him when He actually speaks to us. We should not only be mentally alert, we should also be spiritually alert ready to hear and obey the voice of God. In Matthew chapter 22, starting with verse 37, it says, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. How we think, what we think, needs to be mindful of Christ. Are you glorifying Christ with your thought life? That could be a whole sermon on its own. The bottom line is we need to be aware of our thought life. We need to be aware of how we think and what we think about. What do we pay attention to? Does it glorify Christ? Does it give Him honor? Does it show our reliance upon Him or are we showing our reliance upon ourselves? Now, I get it. Not every minute of every day, not every thought is going to, be, is going to meet this standard, right? There are things we have to think about that aren't going to be focused on Christ. But there's, there are times where we choose to think about these other things. There are times when we choose to think about the things that are not glorifying to Him. Those are the things I'm talking about. Let's keep in mind what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. <clears throat> he said this, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Did you catch the meaning that we have to do this? 
It's up to us. It doesn't just happen on its own. We have to participate. Ask yourself this question. Am I taking my thoughts captive? Am I those free time thoughts? Am I taking those thoughts captive? Am I thinking about things that would bring glory and honor to Christ or not? That leads us to another area that we need to conquer, and that is our thoughts about the future. Do our thoughts reveal a reliance upon Christ, or do our thoughts reveal a reliance on ourselves? It doesn't do us any good to be anxious, does it? It doesn't do us any good to be anxious. In Ecclesiastes chapter 2, Solomon wrote this, starting with verse 22. What do people get for all the toil and anxious striving with which they labor under the sun? All their days their work is grief and pain. Even at night their minds do not rest. This too is meaningless. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. There are so many things that you and I have no control over, isn't there? We have no control. And yet we can waste precious time worrying about those things. Why? Why do we do that? It doesn't do us any good. We can't change anything about it. Why worry? We are better off giving those things to God, saying, God, this is your problem to deal with. I need you to intervene in this situation in my life. God, I need your help. Instead of sitting there wondering, anxiously worrying about things. Do I trust God or not? That's really what it boils down to. Do I trust God or not? Because if I'm not trusting God, then what am I trusting in? More than likely myself. I need to trust God. Paul gives the church in Philippi and us some really good advice in Philippians 4.8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. I don't see worry on that list. Again, we have a part to play in this. We have to think about these things. We have to participate in this. This can be a real challenge at times, can't it? This can be a real challenge. But it can be a life changer if we do it. It can be a life changer if we start to live it. 
Get rid of those negative thoughts. Get rid of those unhealthy obsessions. Get rid of those unkind thoughts. Get rid of the anxious and worrisome ways of thinking. And then we need to replace them with things that are right and true and pure and admirable and lovely. And replace them, but we, but we can replace them only with Christ's help. We can replace them with Christ's strength in us, our living hope. He is our living hope, and he wants to change our minds. Let me end with this scripture from Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 through 23. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he, God, has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present, to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. <clears throat> not only does Christ, my living hope, want to change my mind. He also wants to change what I do. And we're going to hear more about that next week. How does God change what I do? But our main scripture today was verse 13 from 1 Peter chapter 1. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Have you been mindful of your living hope lately? Have you been mindful of Christ? Have you kept your mind more on the things above than the things of this world? The, the situations, the circumstances that are in front of you, are they more important to you than your relationship with Christ? Are the cares of this world and the worries of this world consuming you? Or are you giving them to God? Have you tried to fill your mind with things and people? Have you tried to fill your body with things that would replace Him? Those things that will bring you pleasure, those things that will bring you safety, those things that will help you be calm? Or are you looking to Christ for those things? Your living hope is all that you need. Our living hope is all that we need. Jesus wants to change our minds. Jesus wants to change our minds so that we can focus on him and not on everything else. He wants that relationship with us. But he can't do it on his own. He has to have our permission to do it. He doesn't just come, over, come in and take over our lives. He participates with us. He helps us. But we have to play our part. He wants to help us to live this life for him today, but he also wants to prepare us to live our life for eternity. He 
wants to do both. Jesus is waiting. He's waiting for you and he's waiting for me to give him permission. If I could have the musicians to come up at this time. Jesus is waiting for us to give him permission to change our minds. We're going to sing the third song from the set today. Will you and I give Jesus permission to do a work in us that only he can do? Will we give him full reign in our minds? He doesn't want any of us to stay the way that we were when he found us. He wants to change us. He wants to change you. He wants to do something different in you. He doesn't want to leave you the way he found you. And if you were really honest with yourself, you shouldn't want to remain that way either. After all, if we don't need Jesus to change our minds, why do we need him? If we don't need Jesus to change our minds, why do we need him? He wants to do a work in us. He wants to do a work in you today. Would you stand this morning? I'm going to say a closing prayer right now. I'm going to pray for you. And then they're going, to, they're going to lead us in this song and maybe some others, I don't know. But I want to encourage you, if, if you are here today and you just, you're just realizing, you know what? I need to allow God to change my mind. Maybe there's just a few things that, that need to be adjusted inside. And you want to give Jesus permission to do that. You can, you can pray at your, your seat there. You can come forward and pray. It's up to you. But we want to give you an opportunity to respond to this. Will you allow Jesus to change your mind? Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for the, your word that challenges us. I, I thank you for your word that reveals to us how we really are without you, Jesus. That we are lost. That we are evil, even. But Jesus, with you in our lives, we are saved, we are forgiven. And you desire to change us and make us more like you, Jesus. You desire to give us the strength, the ability to live differently than we lived before. And even if we've known you, Lord, for decades, there, there are still areas of our lives that are imperfect. There are still areas of our lives that need adjusting, that need to be changed. Help us reveal those things to us, God. Reveal to us those areas that we need to give over to you. 
Help us to trust you, God, and not trust in ourselves or to be worried or anxious about anything, but to trust you with it all. I thank you and I praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.